content warning. Nazism, fascism, anti-Semitism, vivisection, serial killing, and hypnotic compulsion. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Games of chance are the oldest form, the strongest and most common form in which those who lack traditional artistic talent are able to feel like artists. 1921, a spectre is haunting Europe, but not the one Marx wrote about. In Germany, a sinister figure accrues acolytes and lays down the foundation for the new world he wishes to build, a world built on hatred and absolute obedience to his will. It is a man who claims to operate on scientific principles, but has a supernatural, nearly satanic aspect, a man who can bend others to his will by force of personality. He walks among the rich and powerful as one of them, appearing as a figure of respect and authority, but beneath it burns insecurity, anger, and unchecked ego, and even when he's destroyed, his words live on, possessing others as though his spirit returns again and again to plague the world. He goes by many names, but his true name is Dr. Mabuse, neurologist, gambler, hypnotist, criminal, and would-be dictator of Sitopomar, first appearing in Norbert Jacques' novel Dr. Mabuse the Gambler. The character became even more famous when Fritz Lang adapted the book to the silver screen a year later, then a decade later to a sequel, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse. An ominous figure with hypnotic powers that seem to border on the occult and a desire to rule with an iron fist, Mabuse seems to chillingly foreshadow the rise of the Nazi regime. Welcome to What Mad Universe, the podcast that traverses the history of pulp sci-fi and fantasy and the origins of pop culture. I'm Adam Prosser. With me, as always, is Phil Rice. Hello. And we're joined once again by Jess Nevins, author of the Encyclopedia of Fantastic Victoriana. Uh, you may know him from his annotations on Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics. Um, so, yes. Uh, so, again, we're talking today about... Uh, Dr. Mabuse, not again, we're talking about uh, Dr. Mabuse, which was a, uh, an interesting uh, interbellum, I guess, uh, character who, uh, who, who is a, <laughs> a criminal genius, a mad scientist, well, not a scientist, but uh, I guess he's technically a scientist, yeah. he's a neurologist, um, uh, but he's, he's one of the figures who inspired the you know, 20th century supervillain in many ways. Um, uh, Phil, I don't know if, uh, you, either you or Jess know anything about, uh, Norbert Jacques, the guy who wrote this book, uh, at all. Do we have anything? Uh, a little bit. He's from Luxembourg. He wrote, he wrote the Mabuse, wrote, I think three of the Mabuse books he wrote for, for the films. He wrote some other, 
uh, stuff for the dime novels. Um, I think that's okay. the extent of my knowledge of him. Yes, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have been a particularly fascinating person, as far as I can tell. I was a little confused why he, you know, he was a German writer, but he had a French name. But it sounds like it's because he was from Luxembourg, so right. that's where they speak both French and German. Um, but I know that um, usually, you know, I, I do, Phil, Phil likes the movies and things that have been adapted from the stuff we talk about. Um, but I, I and I, I, I sort of like to try to focus it more on the books. But in this case, you you kind of can't separate the books and the movies because it sounds like uh, Norbert Jacques, like he was literally writing a sequel to Doctor Mabuse at one point, and uh, he basically ended up just adapt giving it to Fritz Lang and adapting it into the movie, right? Right. Uh, uh, yes. Um, um, the sequel was going to be called Mabuse's Colony, or Mabuse's Colony. Um, it was going to be well. Spoilers, Mabuza dies at the end of the novel. <laughs> um, and um, it was going Nor to be about a col- his colony, Itopomar, which was founded on his principles. Mm-hmm. And um, there'd be um, a group of colonists who were working off of his last will and testament, his manifesto, um, to carry on his criminal will. And there was going to be an evil uh, sort of female Dr. Mabuza-type character named Frau Christina. Oh, Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and uh, so he um, uh, sort of pitched this to uh, Fritz Lang, and Fritz Lang said it wasn't very um, cinematic. Hmm. Um, though I think it sounds like an interesting story. But um, uh, also the first Dr. Mabuza movie didn't actually use the Itopomar concept, hmm. which is... Sitopomar, uh, I believe it's called. Uh, in some translations. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, the idea is that um, Mabuza's ultimate uh, goal is to found a uh, republic or a, a dictatorship in the Brazilian rainforest. Right in Brazil, no less. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, well let's rewind a bit here uh, just to describe the book. It is uh, you know it's basically a a manhunt for a big uh, supervillain. Uh, of the kind that there were uh, apparently quite a few in fiction, from what I can tell. Um, of course, there was Dr. Moriarty, uh, Fu Manchu, uh, there was Fantomas in, in France, and uh, Svengali, who seems to have been a big uh, inspiration uh, for Mabuse in the first place. Um, is that, w- Jess, would you say that uh, Dr. Moriarty, is he sort of the beginning of that archetype, or are there earlier ones than that? Um, I'm leaning back and cracking my knuckles here on this one. <laughs> well, um, you, 19th century, you start with the Gothic supervillains and then they become, they sort of transform through the forties and fifties into these run of the mill criminals. And then in, in the sixties and seventies, you get the penny dreadfuls, and the dime novels and British story papers. And that's where the idea of the extraordinary villain who is in some ways the counterpart to the extraordinary hero begins to develop. Um, Moriarty was certainly the most influential of the supervillains of the time, but in terms of who was famous when... You've also got uh, Dr. Nicola, who is a hypnotic um, master criminal with world domination goals. 
And then you've got, from the American Nick Carter dime novels, you've got Dr. Quartz, who's a vivis, evil surgeon who likes to vivisect women and who's basically Hannibal Lecter 100 years early. <laughs> oh, really? Dr. Yeah. Quartz, did you say? Okay. Dr. Quartz, just like the, the rock. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, none of the Quartz stories are reprinted, so you you really have to go searching to find them. But uh, they're... Mm. He, he first shows up in a um, railway car that's full of butterflies pinned to the wall, which is a nice touch. Um, huh. <laughs> anyway, Moriarty, Moriarty, Moriarty begins it, but there are, like I said, Dr. Nicola um, also popularized the figure of the, the supervillain. You get into the 1900s and 1910s, and the dime novel industry becomes this giant profitable thing in Europe. And so you've got all these different dime novels with fantastic heroes in them. And in some of them, you've got their evil counterparts. And I'd say Mabuse is coming out of that tradition. He's just mm-hmm. a lot more stylishly done because of Fritz Lang's touch. Right, right. Well, and it is interesting to me from what I've seen of these characters, uh, Fu Manchu, uh, Phantomas, and Mabuse to a certain extent. Of course, they're the villains, uh, but they all seem to really overshadow the hero who's there to take them down. Like, nobody remembers Nayland Smith. Everyone remembers Fu Manchu, right? Or Detective Shu from Phantomas uh, uh, stories. Right, right. They have their arch nemesis, but he's almost there to just be the bland protagonist. And I mean, maybe they're brilliant or whatever, but they, but it's the super, it's the villain who really looms and gets the name on the, the title. Right. Um, so it, that's actually kind of interesting to me that it, the villain took over <laughs> seemingly at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that one's also Victorian because you go back to the beginning of the series heroes in like the 1850s and 1860s, and authors have so much trouble making the heroes distinctive beyond being brilliant and uh, being good fighters, and mm-hmm. that's sort of it. So in at the turn of the century, the two, ma- two main characters in American and British uh, popular literature are Sexton Blake and Nick Carter. And both of those are kind of two-dimensional and colorless, but their rose galleries are fantastic and completely overshadow them. And Mm -hmm. it's just this tendency. It's sort of, sort of the Superman problem where unless you're really good at, as a writer, your, your Superman is going to be comparatively bland relative to Lex Luthor or Bizarro or whoever. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because when was when did Sexton Blake get started? 1886. Right. But he does post-date Sherlock Holmes, right? He no, he he Oh no, it's Nick Carter who predates Sherlock Holmes. Uh Blake okay. postdates Holmes. 
Right, right. So, so, yeah, that was what I meant. <laughs> yeah, he comes after Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, but it was, but but it was because uh, I've heard a lot of people basically say, you know, oh, what is it with Professor Moriarty? You know, he's in one story. I mean, technically, he's sort of off screen, but mentioned a lot in uh, the Valley of Fear too, I believe. Uh, but he's basically in one story. Why does everyone think you know Moriarty's this super important character? But I mean, he's clearly cast a huge shot. Like, he's clearly captured people's imaginations right. just from being in this one story. I mean, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm way... But like, that was what I said. I, I didn't know if maybe I was ascribing too much to Moriarty and maybe there was another antecedent, but you seem to be confirming what I, what I thought, which no, was that I, Moriarty is the... Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that Moriarty casts a, a long shadow over other villains to the point where if you've got a Holmesian detective or even mm-hmm. just are doing crime fiction and you're doing a, a, a supervillain, your starting point is going to be Moriarty unless you've got a particularly strong imagination and you're willing to add other elements into the mix. Mabuse right. is... One of the things that fascinates me about Mabuse is that he starts out as kind of an anti-hero defying Weimar Germany. And so you can almost read something heroic into it, but then, then he just goes, you know, goes completely evil. So there was like the, the germ of something not noble, but really fascinating to him as an anti-hero that he, almost loses when he when he just right. becomes a thoroughgoing villain right yeah he he's i mean he's an ideologue at first as phil was point phil described it as uh, you initially said it was a socialist utopia that he wanted I, to build i was under the impression before i read the novel that that's what it was but uh but no it's, no it's dictatorship just, yeah he just wants to rule and be in charge of everyone as far as i can tell mm-hmm. and it's almost in the novel it's almost like when he when he's a shadowy off-screen figure, it's one thing. But then when you meet him, he's kind of petty as a person. <laughs> yeah, he gets drunk. Uh, he has anger issues. He right. yells at his uh, underlings. Yeah, he's just he treats them. He's the classic, you know, guy who abuses his uh, subordinates because he's a, the supervillain kind of character. Um, so he's almost it almost diminishes him when you actually meet him and get in his head in the in the story, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, Jock and, and Lang are sort of in this no-win situation where they build him up so much that mm-hmm. you're inevitably going to be disappointed when you meet him. But I, I, there, he's definitely weak and petty. I, I can't help but wonder how much of that was imposed by, like the Jock's editor or the studio heads mm-hmm. for the the people over Fritz Lang, you know, Hmm. you never, certainly at that time there was, there wasn't auteur theory going on in cinema and writers had a lot less independence than they do now. So they were a lot more vulnerable to editors saying, no, no, we can't make him a hero, change him. And we'll never know whether that's, we'll never know the case, whether, Jacques was influenced by his editor or not. Hmm. Well, I, I was, that reminds me of how, uh, supposedly, um, in, um, 
uh, H.G. Uh, Wells's uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, he had apparently intended Moreau to be a hero originally uh, as a basically eugenicist. And people said, you know, his editor or someone pointed out to that was kind of creepy and <laughs> he flipped it around so that, you know, Moreau was, was more of a villain, uh, right. but that he had been intended as a heroic character from what I understand. Um, I think that was an early intention on Wells' part. Um, I'd heard that anecdote. I don't know whether it's true or not. Yeah, because, yeah, again, this is one of, (laughs) I I like my unsourced anecdotes, apparently. Um, But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, very interesting. Um, It sounds like another, I think he, uh, Jacques actually explicitly mentioned this as an influence, was uh, Svengali. Yes, that's from Trilby. Right, sorry. Right, Um, right, Trilby. Yeah, I didn't like it, but it's not my thing. Right. Uh, Like, it wasn't badly written, it just... Mm-hmm. wasn't for me well trilby in trilby if i'm not mistaken i haven't read it but he's more it's not he's not less of a crime lord he's more he's, he's sinister a, he's, but he kind of latches on go on sorry uh svengali's a music teacher who wants to become world famous and he hypnotizes uh, trilby and basically makes her into a, a robot right who sings at his command there's there's no crime lord in him, he's he's just as weak as Mabuse turns out to be though he's he's really sleazy and and mm-hmm. there's Trilby's Trilby's interesting as a novel while not being very good. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a lot going on in there, but it's it's all overshadowed by the anti-semitism of the novel and mm. oh yeah yeah and just the the whole hypnotizing a woman so that you can exploit her in every way imaginable thing going on so um yeah the anti-semitism was really gross uh there's oh, a yeah. point where uh Svengali mocks another character for bathing yeah although i th- I, I, now, I read a review, I think it was actually the movie, uh, but he pointed out that there's actually something to, and this might have been, I think it was uh, Lionel Barrymore who played him, uh, but he just said that um, w- he actually sort of portrayed him as a guy who deliberately makes himself really unappealing and gross and almost pathetic so that you underestimate him and then he kind of sneaks in and, and, and I didn't get you. that feeling from that book yeah but the book that, that might just be trying to dress up the book and make it a little less gross basically yeah, that's, um, that's not in the book yeah okay fair enough um but but um it, that's interesting too though um th- that almost seems like a bridge now because as i say mabuse they both have hypnotic powers basically which are almost pseudo mystical uh in terms of how they're able to control people um even like literally at a distance like almost telepathically at one point i mean mabuse is anyway i don't know if uh Svengali ever gets no, to that level but, yeah. um but it, it, it seems like a bit of a bridge between uh, a 19th century kind of villain you see who's this sort of parasite villain who tries to latch on to especially a woman and you know because uh, we're again with vampire city um uh count uh Goetze was uh, he's actually he he does that as well he becomes he insinuates himself into a rich couple and he kind of bleeds mm. them dry because he's a vampire ha 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 um but uh it, that seems to have been a type of villain that you saw in the 19th century am i completely wrong about that or no um, it it that one goes back to the gothics. That was definitely a, a recurring character type among the 
among 19th century villains. And in that respect, yeah, you're right. Mobuse, Svengali is a sort of bridge between 19th century and, and the 20th century villains to come. Um, it, the, the impression in the first half of Mobuse is so strong there's, if I'm remembering, there's a shot of his eyes over uh, the Berlin cityscape, or mm-hmm. maybe of his face looming over the city. Yeah, his eyes are very much, you know, they, they, I mean, to the point where the third sequel is literally called The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuse, and they, right. they, yeah, they, they, he really emphasizes his eyes and everything. And this, in the sequel, when he's a, a spirit, he literally has this giant paper mache head <laughs> with giant eyes bulging out of it to, to suggest that kind of thing. So, and, and of course, Rudolf Kleineroj, I believe is the pronunciation. The guy who played him uh, has these really hypnotic eyes himself, right? He's got these very memorable eyebrows and, you know, commanding eyes. Um, so that's, and it seems like they, they had an idea of what hypnotism was in the early 20th century, where it was, it's kind of like how radiation became in the mid sixties, where it was just, it magically did everything basically. Yeah. And, it, and sort of, Yeah. Yeah, the, the like- whole mesmerism craze, you had it was you had people not just being hypnotized, but talking about the mesmeric fluids and psychic mesmerism, and like you say, it was like radiation in the '60s, where you'd wonder how how radiation worked, and people would say science. Well, Victorians, <laughs> you'd say mesmerism. Now it's yeah, exactly. Or quantum, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, some of the sort of early golden age uh, magician characters, like Mandrake the magician, um, maybe not him specifically, but there were some Mandrake knockoffs, and it was oh yeah, all their powers are hypnotic in nature. So, but he that's can what, literally like, yeah, go ahead. No, that's what Mandrake Mandrake started out as having magic powers, but then um, Lee Falk decided to make them all hypnotism so he waves his hand and everyone instantly becomes hypnotized and so it seems <laughs> right. like he's throwing snakes at them but it's hypnosis right. yeah <laughs> exactly yes yeah just the the easy catch-all for everything you want to do but uh, and yeah it's it's that whole idea and in the book um uh, of dr mabuse he he can it's implied that strong-willed people can fight him off, but he can basically make anyone do anything. Um, the the book, by the way, is called Dr. Mabuza the Gambler, um, and uh, the, so is the first film. Sorry, the book is called Dr. Mabuza. The film is called Dr. Mabuza the Gambler. No, they're both called uh, The Gambler. Right. Though it's a German word that might... Uh, it means gambler literally, but it has other connotations. Oh, okay. Apparently, it, it might uh, be like the player... It implies okay. like um, uh, playing like, people or like a puppet like, master, yeah, puppet master sort uh, of thing. Yeah, right. Of course, I, I was wondering if there was some extra level to that, basically, because it yeah, seems it's a like, translation issue. Yeah, it's it's an interesting that you know your supervillain is a gambler. As we were pointing out, we did a show on the James Bond uh, books a few uh, a few uh, weeks back, and. Um, the, a lot of the vil- the James Bond villains are gamblers as well, uh, and they're usually cheats as well, just like Doctor Mabuse is. And uh, it, Le Chief in particular seems very Mabuse like. Yeah, I know uh, Fleming claimed he was based on um, 
uh, Alistair Crowley, but I don't see that at all. Well, but even linking him to Crowley would kind of make it sound like, oh, he was a mysterious, mystical figure, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. So maybe that's why he said Alistair Crowley. He didn't want to get sued by Norbergenach, basically. He wanted to make the connection and not make it obvious. But yeah, but yeah, just this idea of, well, a villain would cheat at cards, basically. (laughs) That's kind of a, kind of an interesting idea. Um. But yeah, that is, and and of course, yeah, as you say, it's it sort of portrays the idea of a guy who can who can uh, who's got all these little. It's a the gambling is a metaphor for how he plays with people's lives, mm-hmm. kind of thing, uh, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. So then, uh, of course, in the decade after the book was published, uh, the Nazis rose to power in Germany. Um, the novel Doctor Mabuse the Gambler seems to foreshadow Hitler and the rise of fascism in a number of significant ways. Uh, he's sort of a cultural shadow of Hitler, uh, from the mesmerizing hold on people to the desire to build an empire where his word is law. Uh, it's, it is actually really (laughs) almost creepy in some ways. And I mean, I, I, obviously the Nazis existed, but whether they were specifically, uh, something people were looking at and going, oh, that's going to be a big deal. Um, it is kind of uh, ominous how much of uh, the Nazis were foreshadowed in in Mabuse. He's he wants to dominate people. He can dominate people mysteriously. He takes control over people's uh, you know uh, people's minds um, and and and. Yeah, he's he's a puppet master behind the scenes. He wants to literally build an empire. He wants to be completely obeyed. And then literally even in South America, that's the part that really freaks me out. <laughs> he's got it all. It's everything is planned out in advance there. Uh, you know, it's 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 sort of creepy. I mean, did you think do you think Jacques was uh maybe re- referencing that? Did he did he did he see anything? Was he foresighted in some way? <laughs> I, I'd, I'd love to read a biography of Jacques just to see what his thinking was behind Mabuse. Um, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if Lang was, Lang was thinking about fascism when he made the movies Jacques I don't know about. Um, right. It, it's really interesting looking at the popular fiction of Weimar Germany especially like detective fiction, adventure fiction, science fiction, you've got all these really fantastic heroes and fascism is the one type of criminal they never fight. You fight communists in, mm. in all these different detective series and science fiction series and, and whatnot, but they never seem to touch fascism. And I, it makes me wonder... And we're talking, you know, 1919, 1920, 1921, just what sort of influence the fascists had on German society that early, you know, because we are talking before Hitler. No, yeah, that, that's just, as I'm saying, I mean, that's, it might have been hard in 1921 to be able to point to Hitler and say, well, he's a big deal. I mean, he was around, he was making noise, but I, I if I've got my history right, he was still kind of on the fringes at that point. It wasn't kind of till the mid late 20s where he started to really make noise. Yeah, it was uh, 25, 26, I think. Right. But at the same time, it might have been possible for someone to sort of say, you know, hey, there's something in the air. And you mentioned, of course, Fritz Lang 
you know, he, of course, in, uh, he may have noticed it the first movie, the second movie, of course, uh, came out literally under the Nazi regime and was banned. Um, and it was... And he fled when it was banned. Right, right. And it was explicitly, like, anti-Nazi movie, the second, uh, the second movie, um, because he literally put Nazi slogans into the mouths of criminals in that, uh, in that, uh, uh, that movie. And, and... The story goes, I've, I've heard people contest this, but the story is that uh, basically uh, he got to sp- Google, Goebbels uh, called Fritz Long into his office or something and said, you know, well, we're banning your movie because it's not, it's not appropriate for the new regime, but we'd like you to become a major film director or something. And Fritz Lang basically said, okay, great idea. And then he got the hell out of the country, basically. Um, I, he, I think people, I've heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was also said that he liked to exaggerate Fritz Lang, so he might have been a little bit <laughs> putting it putting it a little bit over the top. But certainly, because of course he was uh, Jewish, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or yeah. he was like part Jewish. Yeah, and I, he may have also his wife may have also been Jewish. I'm not 100 percent. No, sure. I think wasn't she a Nazi? Didn't no, he they divorce got her because she divorced had... before he fled? Um, yeah, his wife. His wife, Thea von Harbu, worked for the Nazis for a while. Wow. Okay, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, he's. It, that's that's an interesting... <laughs> how does a Jewish guy marry a Nazi? That's interesting. Although, of course, it's before everything, but still. Uh, <laughs> yikes. Um but yeah, he he was he was pretty explicitly being anti-Nazi with the with the second. Yeah, one. though there is some uh, thought on that, and I uh, there's a book called uh, "From Caligari to Hitler: A Psychological History of German Film" mm-hmm. from uh, written in 1947 by uh, Siegfried Krakauer. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he was a um, Marxist. Uh, uh, he was associated with the Frankfurt School, the much maligned Frankfurt School, you know, cultural Marxism, conspiracy theories and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, he was uh, talking about how film as a collaborative medium shaped by market demands was uniquely suited to reveal the subconscious mind of the masses. Um, so the uh, escapist films, in particular Weimar Germany, uh, he said helped pave the way for the Nazi regime. Not intentionally, but... Um, uh, through certain themes, say Count Orlock from Nosferatu is in some ways a Jewish stereotype with the big nose, aristocrat, and like once again, yeah. these probably weren't even intentionally put in there, but it's sort of yeah. shaped ideas. And Mabuse was one of them. Mabusa was one of them. Uh, he's you know a shadowy puppet matter, greedy puppet master, greedy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chaotic force of criminality, and of course um, Lang was anti-nazi of course right uh but uh krakauer states that the intentions of the films were relevant um that regardless of what they meant to convey they helped shape the public's demand for supreme authority and that the nazis used that in their rise to power hmm. well i mean that and is this is obviously a lot of this is contested but um yeah um, well, but it's an interesting thought yeah i mean you, you, that's one of those the, the issues with uh, once you're determined to be anti-Semitic and see, you know, Semitic conspiracies everywhere, uh, you know, you can start to s- identify literally everything as, you know, oh, that's inspiring. As we've seen literally in our modern day right now, there are people who will, they'll take something that's obviously wrong and go, well, that's a Jewish conspiracy, you know, like, and it's like, well, that thing is obviously a bad thing, <laughs> but you're immediately, you know, turning it into a, an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. And uh, as you say, he was, you know, he fits to me much more, 
uh, with the rise of the Nazis, but you're right. He does also fit in with the, the stereotype of, uh, you know, oh, the, yeah, these these evil Jewish puppet masters who are trying to control everything, basically, uh, and who are criminals. And as you say, the hero is a policeman um, who's tr- who's working. Oh, he's uh, a district. He's a state attorney. State attorney. Sorry, that's. But right, he's yeah. practically a policeman. Yeah, he's basically a cop uh, trying to stop Mabuse. He's the he's he's the hero, and he's he's portrayed very romantically and dashingly. He's in love with the the woman it's interesting jess that what you said about uh you know he's he's you could see mabuse as a hero because he's defying weimar germany uh because it's true there's a certain decadence going on in the society that's portrayed uh in this in the book so i've i've read the book more recently than i've seen the movie so i'm i'm sort of drawing on the book more um but it, it it's true that there's they portray it as you know a haven of sin and rich upper class twits and you know and the and even the the love interest is already married uh when he meets uh venk venk uh, but yeah it was is that what you're thinking of when you say he was kind of defeating the weimar germany yeah um the, the the Krakauer book I actually read in grad school, uh, it was interesting, but what I've learned since then is that you could sort of say the same thing about fiction, German uh, genre fiction in the, in the 20s, which was very popular and had high circulation numbers. Um, I, I would love it if someone would do an English language analysis of them the way Krakauer did for film, because I think you could pretty much say, say the same thing about laying the groundwork for the Nazis. I don't think it was solely film. I think it was in print. Um, sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, The Frankfurt school seemed very snobbish from what I can tell. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's uh it's it, it it's one of those things that I think is really really difficult to pin down uh, because you can like you can retroactively go and say things, but I just it, it really is spooky. Like I say, I mean, even the fact that he wants to take off to South America, <laughs> it gets it's spooky in retrospect when you look at it. Um, so uh, let's talk about some of the movies, okay? Because I watched most of them now, okay? <laughs> um. Yeah, so there's of course the famous uh, Fritz Lang movies, the first three. Um, right. Just um, just to clarify, the first two are pre World War Two. The third one is made much later. It's in the, 1960. In 1960. Yeah. Right. That's the Thousand then, Eyes of Dr. Mabuse. And then there was a series of films made in the 60s that I thought were pretty fun, actually. You know, not great mm-hmm. uh, cinema, but they were they were entertaining for the most part. The last one was a total ripoff of Thunderball. Okay. The book. <laughs> I could add the same. Uh, well, like the it was about Spectre a death ray and... instead of, um, not Spectre, but it had a death ray instead of a nuclear missile that was holding the world's hostage, right. and it had a whole thing with underwater divers fighting, and mm-hmm. I don't know, it just seemed very similar. Oh, okay. And it had a, in the main character was a uh, British spy mm. uh, who spoke German for no reason, but... <laughs> well, he's a spy, he has to be international, okay. And then there, and then, um, and... They made a 90s movie, I uh, Yeah, I mean. uh, there was a uh, film made in 1990 that was loosely based on the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Dr. M, also called uh, um, Club Extinction. <laughs> um, it was a, I watched that today, actually. Um, it's an interesting sort of, uh, I don't know, it reminded me of Videodrome. It was very much about media saturation, and hmm. it was supposedly set in the future, but the Berlin Wall was still up. 
and they use that as a metaphor hmm. uh, as like uh, uh, the city was walled off and so people were constantly le- yearning for escape and that became a metaphor for yearning from escape from life hmm. and uh, the the plot was that he was using um, sort of hypnotism through televisions to cause people to commit suicide because hmm. he himself was suicidal it wasn't actually Dr. Mabuse it was just right. um, uh, Dr. Dr. M. Yeah, he, well, we should we should name starting with M. We should point out that, as you said, Dr. Mabuse is basically dies early on in the second movie, uh, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse. And it is literally called The Testament of Dr. Mabuse because he leaves a will, which is almost... Um, it's all he's almost the king in yellow because he he leaves behind his words which if people read them they go they basically go insane and become the new mabuse and is strongly implied or even explicitly stated to be possessed by the spirit of dr mabuse who jumps from body to body basically yeah Um, there was a 60s remake of the testament of dr mabuse which um explicitly said that like they made it very clear that mabuse was controlling the uh, psychiatrist's mind right um and um yeah so after the 90s version there was also a 70s version i wasn't able yeah. to track down uh but there was a um two yeah. movies made in uh 2013 and 2014 that were just awful yes so I, <laughs> I, I don't think we need to... I keep telling Phil, you don't have to watch those, Phil. They can't possibly be relevant it, to what I, we're doing. <laughs> it was kind of interesting, though. It yeah. was really badly done, like completely amateur effects. It was mm-hmm. sort of uh, Sin City on a budget. Um, yeah, uh, just all shot on green screen and um, uh, that, you know digital artifacts all over the place because they didn't do it very well oh, God. Uh, weird acting yeah but it well, was the only of these movies that actually used the itobomar concept oh okay uh with um dr mabuse wanting to um uh turn the city into his own utopia oh, okay and it also had frau christina in it sort of oh, okay well it's it, it's it's interesting it shows that the character has lingered uh, for so long in the popular imagination, at least in Germany, uh, that they're still, you know, trying to make uh, uh, movies. These out were of them. in English, so I don't know. I well, don't know but where they, they were could from, be. But, but they they looked like German movies to me. But they were made in English, maybe for the international market. I, they, I don't know. They do speak English. Uh, a lot of people. Yeah, my uh, I I got it for five bucks on Amazon, and uh, <laughs> the DVD barely played. It yeah. was it was a mess. But yeah, just I just did want to go back to because the. Um, in the, uh, it, it seems like there was a bit of a run, not just leading up to him. We talked about it, but afterwards, uh, there was a bit of a a boom, especially in Europe, of these anti-hero supervillains who were kind of the stars of the show. Uh, they made Phantomas movies in the '60s as well. They were comedies, I believe. Yeah, well, I guess everything was campy in the 60s was mm. kind of the idea. But I mean, uh, D- Danger Diabolique is another example yep. of that. I I go completely insane and say that um walter white feels like in some ways an echo of dr mabuse that's probably not intentional but he feels like a a similar guy in some way am i completely insane for saying that or well i i I tended to associate mabuse with the hypnotism and telepathy telepathy and and all that aspect um I'm not sure I'd, I'd say Walter White is Mabuse like. <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit off the wall. But but it is it is true though because he Mabuse combines the Moriarty thing of 
like he's the hypnotism, but also the Moriarty thing of just he's this brilliant master criminal who has plans upon plans and wheels upon wheels. And you can almost take the hypnotism out of him. He would be a different character, but you could take it out and he'd still be a pretty formidable opponent, right? right. Like he's he's got... He's got all these, uh, yeah, you know, he's got all these wheel spin. He talks about at one point, he's like, I might have to change my plans and pack up and move to another country where they don't speak German and it'll take me another year to earn enough. Like he's, he's even, even with that huge a setback, he's like, yeah, but I'll still be able to do it in a year, basically. <laughs> like, yeah, the sixties movies, he didn't have, um, um, he didn't use hypnotism as much. It was still there. But uh, say one of them, he uses uh, drugs to control people's minds. Yeah, Another one, there's a camera-like device that controls minds. Right. In, uh, the, in, in the Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuse, he's... He's, uh, he's not even in it. Well, yeah, but again, his spirit lives yeah. on. That's that. That's the that's his stick at this point. Is mm. that he has he's. But it's a it's literally a hotel where he's surveilling everyone. Uh, so it's it's those are the thousand eyes of Dr. Mabuse. But he's doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't control anyone hypnotically in that one. Oh yeah, he does. I'm sorry. He's a he's a psychologist who has uh, a woman under his uh, under his uh, control because uh, she's his patient, and he almost gets her to commit suicide, but she doesn't. Um, so he, but they've, they've toned down the hypnotism part a lot for the thousand eyes of Dr. Mabuse. Wouldn't you say? I, unfortunately that's one I haven't seen. So. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like that one, they kind of went, okay, the hypnotism thing was a bit silly. (laughs) Like they almost tried to wake, walk it back a little bit. Um, with the, the, it goes back and forth. Yeah. And he also does explicitly mention uh, the Nazis. Actually, surprisingly little mention of the Nazis. Given that it was the 60s, he could say whatever he wanted about the Nazis. Uh, but they it do did mention- call them thugs and criminals and stuff. Oh, yeah. He insults them and he talks about how, uh, you know, oh, thank God we got away. That, But they, he basically says Dr. Mabuse got away in the horror of the Nazi regime. Um kind of linking them to them there as well i think uh but more subtly than i would have thought i mean i I would have expected them to to him to to go nuts if he felt like it but he doesn't anyway um so um any uh jess do you have any further thoughts on dr mabuse we haven't uh, mentioned well it's it's interesting reading the I, i i keep going back to german dime novel industry just because it's it's something i've done a lot of research on but it's interesting how you had super villains and you occasionally had a hypnotist but nobody tried to rip off mabuse in in a way that people tried to rip off moriarty it was almost like mabuse was too too potent you know they they didn't they didn't want to get too close to him just because they'd be compared. Hmm. <laughs> well, that, that hasn't stopped a lot of people from doing rip-offs in the past, but yeah, I, I see what I, I know what you're saying. It would be too, uh, too easily identifiable as Mabuse. Cause he's, he's, that's actually, you're talking about the German, uh, you know, dime novels and stuff. They really seem to have had a real thriving, yeah. uh, you know, pulp industry to rival America. Maybe I'm extrapolating, but it seems like they were like, uh, it's American and German were both really up there. Right. It, it was until 36 and 37 when the Nazis finally put an end to it, they, 
the German pulp industry was dime novel industry was uh, was the equivalent of the American pulp industry, and you had this really colorful variety of heroes and villains, but the the Nazis they had the writers and editors had to walk a line between appealing to the audience and also not crossing the Nazis too much. Um, but, and I could rattle off hero, hero names, but it wouldn't mean anything to anyone. Um, I recall one named Sun Ko who was, uh, described uh, yeah. as the, uh, um, sort of fascist Doc Savage. Yes. The German, the German Doc Savage, he's got the map of Atlantis tattooed on his back. And at the end of the, uh, the Sun Co novels has um, Atlantis rising from the sea and and the the war, countries of the earth being flooded and all the intervention being wiped out and it was all very fascist, very Jeez. very fascist. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody decided Doc Savage wasn't eugenicist enough. <laughs> Holy <cow>. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but what what is it? I mean, again, I I I know people like pulps and people like dime novels. I guess the French had their own cottage industry. But yeah, I just what is it about Germany? I guess is it the is it that Weimar decadence we've heard so much about again, or is it Weimar decadence, or is it well, you know something else that just? I, I think there's this struggle in German popular culture in the twenties and early thirties between wanting to do sort of pre-war, relatively normal, relatively German popular culture, and then you've got a reaction. That, on the other hand, you've got this more politicized stuff, which is a reaction to Weimar and a reaction to the communists in the streets and, to a much lesser extent, a reaction to the fascists in the streets. And there's this sort of struggle between doing ordinary non-politicized stuff and doing very politicized stuff. And eventually the politicized stuff wins out. And then the Nazis hmm. seize power. And, and during World War I, the, the German dime novel publishers had said to the wartime censors, oh, we're going along with what your with your rules. You don't need to read our, our dime novels. And the censors actually <laughs> said, took them at their word. And so the German dime novel publishers got away with publishing pretty much whatever they wanted during most of World War One until the paper shortages hit. But the Nazis weren't hmm. going to be tricked that way. <laughs> That's interesting. Huh. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, you know, we were talking about uh, film in general, we were talking about the whole idea of, you know, oh, this paved the way for the Nazis. I mean, it's certainly true that they used uh, film and, and their own version. They tried to make their own pop culture. It thankfully hasn't really lasted too much. It didn't really catch on. We still have a few of the movies they made and stuff, but um, it, it, that they seem to understand that uh, pulp, pulpy pop culture uh thing in a sense i mean they they didn't I, I wouldn't say they were good at it necessarily but they i think they they were speaking to some of the same urges maybe that uh people liked in pop culture uh, and it, that is just interesting which is again why people can say oh dr mabuse he was um 
presumably the Nazis never said, oh yeah, Dr. Mabuse, that's, that's what we're fighting, those anti, you know, the, 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 the Jewish conspiracy, but they can, as you say, that you could draw that as a parallel of the kind of, the kind of fear and, and anxiety that was out there that they drew on. And that's always been the problem with pulp. It's got that kind of reactionary streak. There's, there's good, you know, there's pulp that tries to be positive i think but it's it, there's also there's always been a certain reactionary streak to it i think that that pushes you know that goes for the cheap sorry go ahead i think that's a fair assessment yeah it goes it goes for the cheap <laughs> the cheap thrill and the lurid you know and and this the creep out basically and that's the same thing that not not to be oversimplistic about it but uh, anyway, uh, I think, uh, that's probably yep. a good place to wrap it up. Um, this, uh, you know, with our show about Dr. Mabuse, who is a great guy and we must all say, we must all do his bidding. He is our Mabuse, master. Mabuse, Mabuse. sit up Omar. It will be great. Um, so I'd like to once again thank the mad master of the world, Jess Nevins. Um, well, our for producer, Alex yeah, well, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Jess. Yeah, uh, yeah, thank, thank you so you much. So much. Um, our producer, Alex Ross, who beams the show from his secret lair in the jungles of South America. And uh, Jack Furick, who corrupts the youth to his cause with music. Um, I would like to mention, by the way, that um, uh, I have uh, a comic book dropping uh, that uh, Strange Romance... Uh, a special edition of Strange Romance, which is the uh, anthology comic that I edit, uh, should be available as you listen to this on uh, uh, Comicsology. Uh, check that out; it's a really good. I uh, drew a story anthology. in it. Phil drew a story in it, and Phil, you had something you wanted to plug as well, right? Uh, yeah. You're, well, he's got. He's, I have he a did, bunch of things. He does the Apex Society and Undeath, which are both comics, and uh, it's actually on one Comicsology. comic. Undeath's just a story in the Apex Society. Right. But that's yeah. the that's the spinoff. Yes, exactly. And uh, Jess, you've got. Um, hey, uh, are you able to tell us when the Encyclopedia of Fantastic Victoriana uh, vol- Edition Two might be coming out, or is that I'd, are we? I'm it, shooting for June. Oh, this June. Okay, great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't, uh, Jess has uh, written a very comprehensive uh, encyclopedia about Fantastic Victoriana. There's going to be a second edition coming this June, uh, so check that out for sure. Is there anything else you'd like to plug, Jess? Uh, I actually wrote and self-published via Amazon a a history of 20th century horror fiction written outside the United States and the United Kingdom. It's called Horror Needs No Passport, and I think it's pretty good. And if you're at all interested in horror fiction it is definitely worth looking into oh okay neat that's on amazon you said yes okay cool we'll all look for that as well okay so uh we're adam prosser and phil rice and uh if you kill us we will live on like malevolent spirits to possess more bodies and begin our evil schemes anew so sleep tight everyone